The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. How are you now? Ah. Well, Team Tank might be a little bit upset, but how are you now? Your Montreal Canadiens win 8-2 to two over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hello and welcome to episode uh, 73 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake, and that was a walkthrough an absolute laugher. Not something that you've seen very often from the Montreal Canadiens this season. Um, you know, they've usually been on the uh, other end of those types of games. Uh, not so much. I mean, you, you, you really don't see them get blown out and run out of the building like that too often this year. But, you know, uh, it's kind of fun, I guess, to, to see uh, an absolute laugher that they come out on the right side of for once. I mentioned this, I think, in the last three or four episodes when I went through the schedule and I was talking about the tank, this was the most winnable game for them, probably from here until the end of the season. Uh, so it's it's not surprising that they won. It is kind of surprising that they, that they did it in the fashion that they did, but still, uh, I found it pretty enjoyable. So let's get into the recap. Uh, we got a lot of goals to go through in this one, so I'll try to keep it quick because there are a few things I'd like to talk about. Uh, that I saw in that game at the tail end of the recap there. And uh, the Habs, they actually gave up a goal quite early in this game. And I was thinking, you know, this might be a sign of a very rough night against a bad team. Let's face it. The, the Columbus Blue Jackets are considerably worse than the Montreal Canadiens. That's a fact. They should beat that team more often than not. But super early in the game, Joel Edmondson turns the puck over from the corner. Super weak attempt to clear the zone. Uh, it goes to Jack Roslevic. He gets it over to Johnny Gaudreau. And over to Kent Johnson at the other side. He blasts it in, and it's one nothing for the Blue Jackets. But a few minutes after that, the Habs get it right back. Mike Matheson gains the offensive zone, leaves it for Mike Hoffman on his left, and Hoffman apparently taking out his frustrations with the NHL Department of Player Safety on the net. An absolute rocket gets past Elvis Merzlikens, and it's 1-1. little later on, Habs on the rush again. This time, kind of a similar play, but it's Jesse Elinen stepping up on the left side, and he just kind of stops, moves towards the middle a little bit, finds a lane, and rips one through traffic. I think it got deflected on the way, but it doesn't matter. It's 2-1. Two, two minutes to go in the period, however. Kirill Marchenko, from a brutal angle, okay, he's basically on the goal line when he shoots this. He gets it up and over the shoulder of Samuel Montembeau, and it does go into the net. I guess it does. It goes off the post into the net, but the net came off, right? So Montembeau was pushing, and he knocks the net off. Um, they initially, on the ice, called it no goal, right? Because the net was off. 
Now, I agree that it probably should be a goal, but what, what, what kind of bothered me about this is that the ref said, well, the puck crossed the line before the net was off. That was his explanation that he gave when they said, okay, it's a good goal. That's not what happened. You can see a video, go to either Twitter. You can go to either Scott Matla's Twitter, at Scott Matla, or at myself, at DrakeMT. There I go, plugging our Twitters again. If you take a look at either of those videos, honestly tell me, did that puck cross the line before the net was off? Absolutely not. Now, again, I, I agree it was a goal, but I don't know why the ref had to lie. I, I think most Habs fans were looking at that, and they're going, yeah, I'd, I'd count it. Um, I, I don't see why you had to make something up that clearly didn't fucking happen. Um, but NHL refs for you. I digress, as I often do. We go into the second period, and early in the second period, this is where the Habs really take over the game. So off the opening draw, Suzuki goes down the ice, gets a chance on goal, he gets stopped. But Raphael Harvey-Pinard comes screaming in there and buries the rebound. It's 3-2 to two for the Habs. A little later, Habs get another rush chance, doing really well coming through the neutral zone with the puck and just creating opportunities as soon as they get across the blue line. This time, Suzuki carries the neutral zone by himself, drops it for Mike Hoffman after crossing the blue line. He hits Harvey-Pinard coming in on the left, and he goes short side top fucking Ched to make it 4-2. to two. Second goal of the game for him. Now the Habs are buzzing. They're getting chances left, right, and center. They're, like I said, they're really taking over this game. And with around six minutes left in the period, Brennan Gallagher tries to put one on net, but it gets deflected, goes behind the net, ends up on the other side. And Jake Evans just happens to be there in the corner to pick it up, throws it back out front into the slot to Brennan Gallagher. He puts one in, kind of an ugly one. I think Merzlikens probably should have stopped that one, but it's in. And now it's 5-2 to two in favor of the Montreal Canadiens. A few minutes later... Habs on a power play. Rafael Harvey-Pinal just lurking in the middle of the ice. Stick on the ice, ready for anything. Mike Hoffman puts it in the perfect spot. And Harvey-Pinal just has to kind of redirect that. Gets through, into the net. First career hat-trick for Rafael Harvey-Pinal. What a game from him. Merzlikens doesn't get pulled from the game at that point. However, they restart play. Like they go to center ice, they have a face-off, and then they have a stoppage in play, and all of a sudden they go, well, Merzlikens is down on the ice. And the trainer's coming out. So he actually got hurt. Apparently, looked like he took a really weird stretch on that third Harvey Pinard goal. Uh, I hope he's all right. But they had to pull him out. And uh, Michael Hutchinson comes in to replace him. And then the second period ends. So 6-2 to two is your score at the end of 40. We go into the third period. And this is where I found out that if Rafael Harvey Pinard scores a fourth goal in this game, he would be the first Habs rookie to score four goals in a single game since Odie Cleghorn in 1919. Over a hundred years. He's chasing something that hasn't happened in over a hundred years, but it feels like nobody's fucking trying to do anything in this period. The Habs are pretty content with the score at 6-2, to two, and the Blue Jackets, well, you know, they are front runners in the Connor Bedard lottery at this point, so they're not, you know, too, they're not showing too much urgency in terms of trying to uh, get, gain any points on the Habs and allowing them maybe a better opportunity in that draft lottery. Um, so we get all the way past midway point with about seven minutes to go. Chris Tierney and Alex Belzil, they get a two-on-one. Uh, they're kind of going back and forth. And Belzil, he's trying to go back for Tierney, but it actually banks off the defender and in. That makes it 7-2. to And then right after that, I don't even think they finished announcing that goal. Columbus, tankiest goal I've ever seen. They all just back off. 
They're all just kind of playing super soft, backing up, backing up, backing up. Nick Suzuki's got the puck in the neutral zone. He's skating through traffic, and he realizes nobody's really trying to do anything, so he just crosses the blue line with it, moves into the middle, a little toe-drag release, and just like that, it's 8-2 to two for the Montreal Canadiens, and that's all she wrote. They did get a power play at the very end of the game there, and this is where I want to give a little... I want to tip my hat to Martin Saint-Louis a little bit because they got a power play... <clears throat> I think maybe two minutes, 20 seconds left on the clock. So basically the final two minutes of the game, they're going to be up a man. And he could have sent out his top power play. He could have sent Rafael Harvey Pinar out there and tried to get him that fourth goal, try to do something that hasn't been done in 100 years. I would have loved to see it, but I understand and I respect the fact that he didn't do that. He's not trying to embarrass another team. You know, he's been on the other side of some rough losses this season. I think he understands what it feels like, and he didn't want to go out there and just really drive the knife home any more than it had already been. So uh, I respect it, and I respect him for for making that decision. Um, Look, it's an 8-2 win for your Montreal Canadiens. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I predicted this a little bit, and it wasn't very difficult to predict. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back too much for it, but... In the last three, four episodes, when I looked at the schedule, I said this is probably the most winnable game that they're going to have from here on out. And sure as God's got sandals, they uh, they went out there and they delivered. So your player of the game, do I even need to say it? It's Rafael Harvey Pinar, first career hat trick. Um, I, I love this kid. I love everything about him. I think particularly you got to look at that second goal, or no, it was the first goal that he scored, right, where he scored off of the Suzuki rebound. He, they showed a replay of that, which I actually have it up on my Twitter. I'm going to plug my Twitter one more time at DrakeMT. Go take a look if you haven't seen it yet. They showed a replay where they just, they had the camera focused on him for like the better part of that shift. And you can see how he's just going 110% that entire shift. And as soon as he sees that opportunity to go for the net drive and try to be there for that rebound, he does it. These are the things like you see you see it game after game from him doing things that are precisely the things that you need to do to have a successful career as like, you know, a middle six player in the NHL. Um, I don't see a universe at this point. I know I've talked about this ad nauseum at this point. I seem to keep bringing it up and I keep getting a little bit closer to just saying it at this point. I do not see a universe where he's not on the opening night roster next year. I think it would take a Herculean effort from somebody at camp to push him out of the roster and back to Laval. I don't see it. I think he's he's a day one Montreal Canadian next year. I think they're going to be happy to have him. And I think when they can put him down like where he actually belongs in the lineup, like he's playing on the top line with Mike Hoffman and Nick Suzuki, which is a weird line in and of itself. Never mind the fact that that's clearly not where he should be playing. It's also not where Hoffman should be playing, but it's not really the point. Harvey Pinar, when they can get him out there against lesser competition... I think he's he's really going to thrive, and um, I think he's also going to surprise some teams. Like when other teams are looking at the Habs and they're trying to figure out where can we exploit them, they go, all right, we're going to try to exploit the third line, let's say. And you got RHP out there. That is a relentless player who's very active on back checks, uh, extremely active on the forecheck, and he's just he's kind of a nightmare to play against because he's got that bottomless gas tank, uh, constantly go, go, go every second that he's out on the ice. 
Um, I really think he's going to be a valuable addition to the bottom six at some point. Maybe call, call it middle six if you want, because I think he's probably best suited for like third line play. And uh, now we know as well, he's got that capability to play up in the lineup whenever they need him to. So, man, start of a great career for him. Um, he's had uh, a really eye-opening year. Um, he took advantage of an opportunity, and that's what this season was always going to be all about. You know, that's what exactly what the team needed to be looking for was who can step up because we know we're not making the playoffs. We know we're we're on road on the road to the bottom five, and now they're in the bottom five. Who's going to step up? Who's going to solidify themselves a roster spot for next year? There you have it. I think he's done it, and um, I, I think it'd be a crying shame if they don't give him a legitimate shot and uh, and put him out there on the on the starting day roster next year. At a close second for me for player of the game was actually Nick Suzuki in that one. I thought Nick Suzuki played a, a masterful game. He's actually on a bit of a tear recently. You take a look at his last what? Just look at his last five games, including this game against Columbus. He has 10 points in his last five. Four against Columbus, two against Boston, two against Tampa, two against Tampa the night before that. Wow. And he's doing this with a, so far, like with a rookie on his wing and Mike Hoffman. I don't know. Look, I said this before the season. I thought he was going to hit point per game for the first time. And obviously things went to shit, right? I don't feel like... I understand that you could point it. You could say, well, uh, you got that one wrong, Drake. And you'd be right. I did get it wrong. He's not going to hit a point per game this year. But I still feel somewhat vindicated in looking at what he's been able to do with essentially spare parts as his line mates. Like, this is nuts. Ten points in his last five, man. That's that's something, particularly when you consider who he's playing with. Um, I, I think if they can stay healthy next year, I think that's going to be the year he's going to hit a point per game. So they're, I'm going to have to kick my prediction into the next year. But I, I really believe that he could. Um, honestly, take a look at how well he plays, uh, even when he gets the most ideal line mates taken away from him. He still goes out there and produces. Um, you know, Not always super consistently. He's had a few... You know, pointless streaks, but his pointless streaks never last all that long. It's not like he went 15 games without getting any points or anything like that. It's usually like two, three games in a row at most where he won't score, and then he'll he'll pick one up, and then he'll pick one up. You know, and now 10 points in five games towards the end of the year here. I think he's settling into having these line mates, and uh, you see what happens when he does. When he's comfortable, uh, he can go out there and he can produce at a ridiculous rate. Now, ridiculous rate might be. I might be uh, taking it a little bit too far, but let me put it to you this way. <clears throat> They've played 73 games now, and he has 61 points. That ties his career high, which he had 61 in 82 back in 2021-22. So he's tied his career high already. He's going to set a career high. Uh, I don't know what he'll finish at. Maybe he can get to 70. Might be able to get close. A couple more games like that, uh, and he'll be over 70. But look he's going to set a career high and then you have to really look at the context and say okay your your best winger is Cole Caulfield you guys just gel together and you guys pile up points when you're on the ice together they worked really well with Kirby Doc as well Kirby Doc got taken away they need him at center now so that's not going to be coming back Cole Caulfield got hurt out for the season shoulder surgery and still he's going to set a career high 
what more do you want to say? They made the right choice for captain. They made the right choice re-signing him. I'm going to tip my hat to Marc Bergevin, which is not something that I do very often. I think that deal, the longer that we get into that deal, I think the better it's going to look. I think when we get midway through that deal and he's putting up point-per-game seasons like I said he would, I think everybody's going to shut up about that deal. Everybody who said it's one of the worst contracts in the league, they're going to shut right the fuck up. Because, let's face it, the amount that they're paying him, under $8 million per season, if he gets to point per game, that is fan-fucking-tastic value. Point final. I realize I ran myself pretty long with those uh, those two players of the game. Uh, there were other great performances as well. I thought Mike Hoffman was very good in this game. Um, unblock me on Twitter, Mike. I've been saying nice things about you lately. I feel like he got the raw end of the deal. Um, I think A.J. Greer should have been suspended longer than one game. Talked about that uh, after the Boston game. And, man, that was a brutal cross-check to the face. He comes out there wearing a full face shield uh, because he's he looks beat up, man. He looks like he's got a second mouth on his face from that cross-check. And still, he goes out there and puts on a, a great performance. So, really got to take your hat off to him for that one. Uh, great game from Mike Hoffman. I felt like Jesse Elinen, uh played really well. Um, I really liked uh, Alex Belzil in that game too, honestly. And Mike Matheson. I almost said Mike Hoffman again. Mike Matheson had another great game. Um, Jordan Harris, I felt like he played a great game. It's uh, Kirby Dock played a great game. Uh, didn't find the score sheet in this one, but he did land a really sick uh, reverse hit when he was trying to come across the blue line. I forget who it was, but one of their defensemen tried to meet him at the line and he just yeeted him back into his own zone. Uh, I love seeing that shit. It was a pretty much everybody had a fantastic game. Everybody from Semyon Montembeau all the way out, up and down the lineup. They played great. Um, that kind of can happen when you're playing against a significantly inferior team. And this is the first time in a while that they've played a significantly inferior team. Take a look at the schedule. They've been playing teams that are well above them in the standings for a while. They had, I think, with 20 games left or something like that. So I forget who tweeted it out. I, I have to go and find it, and I, I don't have the wherewithal to go and look for that right now. But I think somebody tweeted out that they had either the highest degree of difficulty in their remaining schedule with 20, with 20 games left or the second highest. They, they were up there is what I'm trying to say. They got a lot of playoff teams on their schedule in the final 20 games, and uh, it's been rough. And then they get a game against a team that is very not a playoff team, and they showed, at least they showed they're closer to being a playoff team than the Columbus Blue Jackets are. Now, of course, Columbus is in the pole position, if you will, for Connor Bedard. So if they get him, they might leapfrog the Habs a little bit quicker than uh, I might like to admit. Uh, he's an extremely talented player, and uh, I would love to have him in Montreal. But, um, yeah, it was always going to be a long shot for the Habs to get far enough down in the standings to have better odds than Columbus. Columbus, basically, there's what? Like, what do they have, 10 games left in the season or nine? The Habs have nine, so I think they also have nine. Either way, even if it was, let's call it 12, did you really think that, that Columbus was going to win like eight games and the Habs were going to win zero? <laughs> it's it's just not going to happen. I, I don't think catching them was possible. Um, I think they got a better chance maybe getting to fourth last, and then they're going to have to just 
hope and pray on their lottery odds to see if they can move up uh, and get the generational talent. So, you know, it is what it is. They're a better team. They got the win. It was a big win. And it's kind of fun to see the team towards the end of the year have a good game like that and put up eight goals. I mean, we, we need some kind of a confidence booster uh, one way or another. The players need some kind of a confidence booster, and they got that here. So hopefully you know, a game like this is enough to show them what they're capable of, and maybe they can parlay that into some more success next year. I don't know. I think I've said enough for the night. What are we running? We're running um, 19, well, almost 20 minutes. So it's soirée énorme pour les employés de soutien. Um, quick reminder, again, I am still posting this on both channels. So if you're listening to this on the bottom six minutes channel, please make sure whatever platform you're on, also go and subscribe to the Eyes on the Prize channel. It's Eyes on the Prize, a Montreal Canadiens podcast. If you type Eyes on the Prize into your podcast platform, it should pop up. Make sure that you subscribe there as well because as of April 1st, Eyes on the Prize is going independent and that is when I am going to start only posting on the Eyes on the Prize channel. Uh, We have joined the Fans for Sports Network. I've talked about this a couple of times already so I won't go into too much detail. But I do want to make sure that my content is aligned with Jared and everybody else that's doing great work for Habs Eyes on the Prize on the podcast front. So um, as of April 1st, everything is going to be on that channel. So make sure that you subscribe over there. Uh, Thank you. As always, for listening, I greatly appreciate it. And of course, à la prochaine.